Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. Happy Easter. I invite you to listen carefully and listen well as we turn to the scriptures. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen clothes lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in and he saw and believed Whereas yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you are good and your steadfast love and yours forever and your faithfulness to each generation. We thank you that you have gathered us on this beautiful Easter morning to celebrate your resurrection from the dead, to remember that you have trampled down death by death and upon those in the tombs bestowed life. We give you glory and honor and thanks and praise for your goodness, for your graciousness, for your power, for your glory, for transforming all things, for inaugurating a kingdom for welcoming us into it. We thank you that you speak to us through your word and that you gather us around your table. We pray that you would send your spirit to us this day, that we might hear you and know you and see you and taste that you are good. Your love encompasses us and fills us and your triumph endures forever. May we experience the joy and the freedom of your victory this day. In Christ's name, amen. So I'd like to begin Easter and an Easter sermon with part of an Easter homily. I told him this morning that homily means short sermon. So that's another gift and more good news. (laughs) But this is just parts of a homily. Contributing to a sermon, so maybe it's not. I don't know. But this comes from John Chrysostom, 4th century preacher. And he has a very famous Easter homily that many folks will recite on Easter morning. And he says that if any have toiled or been working from the first hour, from the very beginning, if you've been working with Christ from the very beginning, let them receive their due reward. If any have come after the third hour, let him with gratitude join the feast. 
And he that arrived after the sixth hour, let him not doubt, for he too shall sustain no loss. And if any delayed until the ninth hour, let him not hesitate, but let him come too. And he arrived only at the eleventh hour. Let him not be afraid by reason of his delay, for the Lord is gracious and receives the last even as the first. He gives rest to him that comes at the eleventh hour as well as to him who toiled from the first. First and last alike, receive your reward. Rich and poor, rejoice together. Sober and slothful, celebrate the day. You that have kept the fast and you that have not, Rejoice today, for the table is richly laden. Let no one fear death. For the death of our Savior set us free. He has destroyed it by enduring it. He destroyed hell when He descended into it. He put it into an uproar even as it tasted of His flesh. Christ is risen. And you, O death, have been annihilated. Christ is risen and the evil ones are cast down. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life is liberated. Christ is risen and the tomb is emptied of its dead. For Christ, having risen from the dead, has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. To Him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So if you have been following and worshiping and loving and receiving from Christ for a hundred years, come celebrate today. If you literally just staggered in here from the parking lot and heard Jesus is risen from the dead, enter into the feast as you place your trust and hope and faith in Him. This day is for all of us. But Christ so loved the world that He gave His only Son. Whosoever should believe in Him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Christ has trampled down death by death. He has bestowed life upon those who were in the tombs. He has opened up the gates of paradise for all who believe. Um, another writer, Ephraim the Syrian, describes paradise being reopened through Christ's work on the cross and His resurrection from the grave as a, as a reopening of Eden, a reopening of the kingdom and of paradise for us. And so let, let's think about that just for a second because it gives us an amazing um, image that we can enter into as we celebrate this Easter. Remember in the garden, Adam and Eve were created and placed in the center. And in the center of the garden, along with them, there was a tree with the knowledge of good and evil. There was also a tree of life. There were also uh, fig trees down a little further towards the bottom, and there were thorn bushes outside the garden. Adam and Eve were placed in the center, and they were told not to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and they did. They trespassed. They did what they ought not to have done. They took what they ought not to have taken. And so they moved from the center, from the place of their identity with God. They fled. They ran away. They moved far from God as far as they could. And they found these fig leaves and they covered themselves for they realized they were naked. And God sought them out and covered them and then sent them out into the world for they could no longer be in paradise. Why? So that they would not eat from the tree of life. And so always bear sin and alienation and destruction and shame in their lives. It was a grace that He gave them by sending them out. And so they went out into the world 
out into this place where thorns wound and uh, where things pierce. Well, Ephraim says that in the last week of Christ's life, he takes all of these images and gathers them in and shows us how paradise previously shut off from us has now been reopened. In the final week, Jesus curses the fig tree that they used to hide themselves in their shame. He cursed the fig tree, the leaves withered. because The leaves of the fig would no longer be needed. Our shame was about to be removed. There's no need for us are made hidden from God in this way. And then he takes the thorns of the world that pierce, and he takes them that, that form the boundary, the outer circle of the garden, keeping us out of it, and he took it, and he placed that circle upon his head as a crown. And he climbed the mountain, and came to the center, and came to the cross, and bore in his own life, the curse associated with it. If you should eat from the tree, this tree, you shall surely die. And so he received the penalty into himself upon that tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil, where things begin to break apart, and he went to it for us. And in so doing, and taking the leaves of the fig, and doing away with them, and taking the thorns and placing them upon his head, and going to the cross, and bearing the penalty in himself, he's transformed the tree of the cross, now the tree of the curse into the tree of life. It's the place from which we now receive eternal life. It's the place that now opens up paradise to the rest of us. It's a beautiful image. And as we contemplate this morning, His life-giving cross in the empty tomb, so too might you be invited, well, back into paradise back into the garden back into relationship with God that is new and fresh so we come this day whether we you know screeched into the parking lot or whether we've been coming to this place our whole lives we come and we recognize that paradise has been open to us but I want us to think about how we might enter in. And so retracing the steps of Mary will will be our path. Mary Magdalene, who's mentioned in John, as we read. In the other Gospels, Mary was obviously with a group of other women who went with her. They're called the myrrh-bearing women. So we're going to walk with Mary and discover, hopefully, um, in her experience of Easter, morning a deeper experience of our Easter life. You'll notice one of the first things that's mentioned is that Mary got up and she went to the tomb and it was still dark. That's, That's a description full of meaning, isn't it? It was still dark. You might remember uh, on, on Thursday, when Jesus gathered with his disciples in the upper room, and he broke bread, and he poured the, the, the cup and established a new covenant, that, that Judas was there. Judas who would betray him for 30 pieces of silver. The text tell, tells us that when Judas left to go do that, it was night. 
It was dark. Humanity had betrayed the God who made us. You might also remember that when Jesus was crucified and he died, darkness covered the earth. It was night. It was dark. When Mary gets up in the morning, probably because she hadn't slept any, honestly, she gets up so early as before the sun has come up, it is still dark. She stumbles around. When it's dark, you can't see. When it's dark, it's hard to understand. When it's dark, it's difficult to make your way. It's easy to fall and to be injured and to get hurt. To fall upon those thorns that wound. When it's dark, it's tough. She rises. She, she goes in the dark of her despair, in the dark of her grief, in the dark of the difficulty of this world, and she makes her way with the other women. The myrrh-bearing women who carried myrrh. Remember myrrh? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh? Which were given to Jesus by the, by the wise men who came and gave him gifts. Myrrh. Now this anointing spice that they used to anoint, well, dead people. They come with myrrh. They're not expecting resurrection. They go with myrrh. They go in their grief. It's dark. They're asking a question. They have a question. Who will roll away the stone for us? It was a very practical question. Who is going to roll back the stone? They went in the morning. They went to anoint him. They didn't have anything else to do. And if it didn't work out, well, at least they tried. They didn't know what was going to happen. It's a poignant question, isn't it? Who will roll back the stone for us? Maybe you've asked that question before. Maybe you find yourself in darkness and despair. It feels like a tomb. Who's going to do it? How's it going to happen? How will the stone be rolled back? It's a question kind of like, I mean, with it, full of as much meaning as, as Pilate's question to Jesus as he stood trial. Well, what is truth? He asked Jesus, who is truth incarnate. It's a question as meaningful as the one that Jesus asked His disciples. Well, who do you say that I am? When so many other people were trying to understand who Jesus was. Well, who do you say that I am? What is truth? Who will roll back the stone for us? And when the women make their way in the darkness and despair with myrrh of all things to anoint a dead body, they get there and the stone's been rolled back. It's already happened. The stone is rolled back. They discover that in the midst of their despair, in the midst of the dark, in the midst of the challenge, God was already working for them. God was already doing things for them. God had already risen before they rose. And so maybe you can receive that truth in your own life. Before you even got in trouble and knew you needed help, God was working for you. Before you could even understand that the tomb was empty, God was working for you. He had risen. Before you even got up this morning in the dark of the early morning, Christ had risen. Before you were even born, God died for you on the cross in Jesus Christ. Jesus rose for you from the tomb. Jesus was already at work for you. It had already happened. It's already done. And so on Easter we come, staggering in, 
in the dark, confused. and disp- It's been a dark year, hasn't it? And we discover that the stone has already been rolled back. We're reminded that Jesus is alive. He's risen. And so what does Mary do? What can we do? She runs to tell Peter and the rest of the disciples. That's her response. It seems really, really, I mean, almost like, I mean, that's why it's a cliche. We just say it all the time. Like, what's one of the most basic aspects of our Christian lives? Is to tell other people the good news. What's the first thing Mary does when she recognizes that the tomb is empty? She goes to tell someone else. She doesn't theologize about it. She doesn't come to an interest. She doesn't sit down and pull out the the scriptures. She goes and tells someone else. It's that basic. Um, Historians who are are reading uh, the, the Bible from a critical perspective, evaluating the the text simply as a document and trying to use various rules to understand, you know, its legitimacy. will go to this passage and they will admit that if there was a group of folks in the first century who were trying to start a new religion and gain new converts and put together sort of an elaborate ruse to convince people that a dead person had risen to life, they absolutely would have never written down that the first witnesses to this event were women. Because a woman's eyewitness account was, in that world, like, meaningless. And so even they, looking critically, would say, the writers of the scriptures are just describing what had happened. And in fact, we can really see they're telling the truth because, well, they tell, they, they use witnesses that no one else would have used. It would have actually gone against their case if they had written that they wrote this, right? Um, and so the women go, they're the first ones to discover. And they are given a title that so honors them. These women who, were fa- who, who came to Jesus and anointed His feet with perfume before His crucifixion. These women who came and stood beside Jesus as He died and as He breathed His last. These women who rose early in the morning to honor the Lord, even in His death and in His tomb. These are the ones that Jesus chose to discover first the good news that the stone was rolled back. And they went and they told the disciples, and they were called now the apostles to the apostles. And so maybe you say, nobody would really listen to me. I don't find myself convincing. I don't think it would actually even help Christ's case if I was the one telling someone that I believe that He has risen from the grave, that He is the Lord of life and death, that He is the one who's opened up a new kingdom. I Yes, Mary was not Peter who would be crucified upside down in Rome, a martyr for Christ. They were not Paul who went all around the Mediterranean evangelizing the known world, planting churches all throughout the empire. They were not James who would come, the stepbrother of Jesus who would come to bear such authority as a bishop in Jerusalem. They were not those. 
But had they not gone to tell them, neither would Peter or James have been that either. You see that? So, maybe you want to discount yourself. I would be careful about that. But even if you do, who knows what happens when you tell your grandchild that Jesus has risen from the grave? Who knows what might happen when you tell your friend or your neighbor that, you, that you're a Christian, that you believe in Jesus, that you pray to him, that you believe he's alive, not dead, not some guy walking around 2,000 years ago, but alive today, and that he still loves and still rolls back stones that cover tombs and still shines light into darkness. What if you, what if you told somebody that? You do not know the role that that person might play in the kingdom. Or your, how your telling of them might lead to the telling of someone else that would lead to the faith of many. You don't know. When Mary came in grief and despair and darkness with myrrh of all things in her hands, she saw the empty tomb and she told the, the apostles and she became the apostle to the apostles. She wouldn't have guessed we'd be standing here today, I bet. But we are because she went and told someone. But that's not all. She also came back to the grave with, with Peter and with, with John who wrote this, who doesn't want to name himself. He keeps saying the, the other disciple or the beloved disciple, but he doesn't use his name out of humility. John who wrote this was the other who came back, who outran Peter because he was younger, but didn't go in because he was a little more timid. Peter always just busting into everything, right? Uh, he charges into the tomb. Mary and the women come back to this holy place. She hadn't, had not yet met the Lord, but she'd seen the stone was rolled back, that the tomb was empty. She wanted to come back to a place, the last place where she knew Christ had been. And maybe you have sort of a holy place where you seek to draw near to the Lord as well. I hope that this church is one. I hope that this sanctuary is such a place for you. Where you know Christ has been and where you expect to meet Him again. Maybe it's a mountaintop. we got a lot of those around here at the end of a hike that you happen to love, a place where you can climb up and feel close to God and commune with the Lord there, the risen Lord. Maybe it's not up on a mountain. Maybe it's down by the river where you were baptized in this place and all the streams and rivers that flow. You have a spot where you pass beneath the waters or someone in your family did. Maybe that's the place for you. Maybe it's the home of a loved one. Maybe... It's a graveyard. Just like Mary went to the graveyard. Maybe you too have one that you love who has died and been placed back in the earth. And you like to go there because you feel closer to them there and you feel closer to God there. And in the midst of some of that despair and grief, you also know That one day, like Christ has walked out of the grave, so too will they. Because they've trusted in Him. And you look forward to that day in that place. Wherever that place is for you, like Mary, you go to that place because in that physical location, you're trying to draw close to the Lord. Jesus says, knock and the door will be open to you. Seek and you will find. Mary's doing that. You can do that. And you know what happens when she goes back to this place? 
and offers herself to the Lord, she's looking into the grave. She's looking into the tomb. She's looking into the darkness and into the defeat and wondering. And she hears one speak to her. Not out of there, because the Lord's not in there, but behind her. She hears a voice and she turns. She, it's, a, it's a matanya, it's a, it's, a, it's a repentance, it's an act of turning around. And she turns and there's Jesus, the one who has called her by name, Mary. Or, or Ina, or Bobby, or Jay. Dale. The Lord has called her by name and she turns and she looks into the face of the risen Christ. And she embraces him. She falls upon him. And Jesus says, don't cling to me. Which seems odd to us. We're like, well, why can't we cling to you? We're supposed to cling to Christ, yes. But in this moment... Jesus has not yet ascended to the right hand of the Father so that he can send the Spirit upon the church. And so he says, do not cling to me. But in other places also he tells the disciples something. He says, go back to Galilee. Because I'm, I'm, going, I'm going before you and you, you will meet me there. You will find me there. I will discover you. I will encounter you there. And so... He goes back to Galilee. It's, it's like he said, go back to Newland, honestly. Or go back home. Mary's come in the darkness. She's seen the stone roll back. She goes to tell someone. She comes to draw near to Jesus to seek him out. And he calls her by name and she sees him in all of his resurrected glory. She embraces him and he says, I'm going ahead of you. Go back to Galilee. Go back home. And wait for me there. And so what do we do this morning? We know it's Easter. We stagger into church. We feel the weight and the darkness of the past year. We're reminded that God's already at work for us. He's already accomplished all for us. That we're called to tell others about it. That we're called to seek Him out. And that when we seek Him, we will find Him. He will call us by name. But he'll also send us out into the world with this message and to meet him. So perhaps you can go back to Galilee today, back to Newland, back to your home, back to your family, back to the place you work, back to your neighbor's house, back to the places you shop for groceries and uh, buy supper. Go back to those places looking for Jesus who goes ahead of us. It's called provenient grace. God's grace goes before us. Because Christ goes before us and before you. The risen one. The one who's opened up the gates of paradise to all who believe. Whether you've been working from the first hour or just right now. It's the good news. It's the Easter life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.